Good morning. My name is Joe. My pronouns are he and him. Restoration is near. Prepare the way. That's the theme that's been echoing in our gathering this morning. Restoration takes vision, planning, creativity, development, the hard work of getting from here to there. You look ahead, you anticipate what's coming, and you get ready for it. But how do you prepare when you have no idea what's coming? That's the tension of the Advent story. The Jewish people were waiting for the Messiah. They'd been told to prepare the way for centuries. And in hindsight, there were signs everywhere for those who choose to look. But in the moment, when their hero came, almost all of them missed it. Because what they were expecting, what they were hoping for, was not what happened. And that's a big part of the human condition. We think we know what's coming. We try to prepare for it, but we really have no idea what the future will hold. That's the story of Jesse the Stump. How would you like that to be the nickname that stuck to you for millennia? They could have called him Father of Kings, the Kingmaker, but instead they called him Stumpy. Then a shoot will sprout from the stump of Jesse. From Jesse's roots, a branch will blossom. Pretty much the only time Jesse gets a mention in church is during Advent. And it's this description of him as a lifeless, cut-off tree stump. Do you know Jesse? He's kind of a bit player in the biblical story. The only real story that we get about Jesse himself is about his incorrect assumptions. The prophet Samuel showed up unexpectedly one day, proclaiming that God had chosen one of Jesse's sons to be the new king of Israel, a replacement for the disappointing King Saul. And Jesse was thrilled. He was proud of his sons, and he brought them one by one in front of the prophet. Check out Eliab, the firstborn, tall and strong, natural leader, this one. He'd make a great king. Not interested? Okay, well, here is Abinadab, my secondborn. He's got what it takes, let me tell you. Still not quite what you're looking for? Well then, have you met Shema? Solid build, farm kid with a wicked slap shot, definitely qualified for the job. And so on, down the line for seven sons. And each time the prophet said, no, this is not the one. Finally, Jesse called in his youngest son from tending the sheep, David, the one with pretty eyes and a fair complexion. That is what the Bible says about David. He was young and pretty. Nobody thought of him as future king material. And they all got it wrong. David was the chosen one, God's anointed. David ushered in the golden age of Israel. He's one of the most famous humans in all of history. And Jesse put him last in the lineup. Nobody thought this was how his story would go, but it did go that way. That theme repeats over and over in Jesse's genealogy. His grandmother Ruth, the widowed Moabite refugee, became matriarch of the Jews. His grandson Solomon, born out of a scandal, became the ideal king, revered for his wisdom and wealth. Jesse's great-grandson, Rechaboam, was given every opportunity to succeed, and he crashed and burned all the way to a civil war, and so on. Jesse's offspring bring more chaos than any fictional Game of Thrones. Assassinations, religious purges, dubious foreign alliances and betrayals, it's dramatic stuff. David's royal line does not come out smelling like roses. 
and the family is ultimately brought down by the decimation of Jerusalem and the exile to Babylon. And that's what the stump metaphor is referencing. The tree of David, the line, the royal line, has been cut down. Jesse's descendants, his royal line was dead in the ground. And that was not supposed to be how the story went. But now, the prophet says, the arrow is about to flip again. From the dead stump, new life, a shoot, a stem, a fresh growth, a new leader in the image of King David. Just imagine, the royal family, known for corruption and greed, will now stand for justice, for mercy, for truth, for faithfulness. Can you believe it? To a people in exile who have known only conflict, a harsh dog-eat-dog world, can you imagine a world where natural enemies live side by side? where the innocent are not harmed, but actually take the lead, where the carefree play of childhood is the norm, not the exception, where wisdom and not violence makes the rules. The poet just keeps throwing out these ridiculous images. This is an upside down kingdom. Nothing here is normal. It's not supposed to happen. That's not the way the world works. According to who? How do we know where things are headed? How do we know what is supposed to happen next? How do we know if Jesse is a founding father or a stump? Was Gentile Ruth supposed to become a matriarch? Was it supposed to happen when little David, the pretty boy, was made king? Was he supposed to actually be good at it? On the flip side, wasn't his kingdom supposed to last forever? Weren't his descendants set up for success, given every chance to carry on the dynasty, only to fail in historic fashion? We think we know but we don't know. And still, the call echoes through the centuries. Prepare the way. What does it mean to prepare the way when we don't know which way we're heading? If you don't know what's coming, then you have to be ready for anything. And that means shifting the focus from the external into the internal. Think about the first Advent story of teenage Mary getting ready to give birth to baby Jesus. When Carrie and I prepared for the births of our children, we did practical things. We toured the hospital. We prepared the baby room, organized all the stuff. We counted our money. We made a birth plan. We got the space around us ready for the baby. What did Mary do? When she was found out she was pregnant, she went to visit her cousin Elizabeth. She left town to seek companionship. They compared stories. They composed songs. They wrote poetry. That's what we know, what was written down. And of course, the reality was more complicated than that. Mary was probably forced to leave town to preserve the honor of her family. And we really don't know what she and Elizabeth did together. It seems likely that they made all kinds of practical preparations as well. But if Mary had a birth plan, it was ripped to shreds when Joseph dragged her along to Bethlehem. They didn't have reservations for a place to stay, let alone appropriate care for labor and delivery. If Mary was prepared, it was probably not for giving birth among strangers. The images of the stable surrounded by the farm animals, those are probably exaggerated, by the way. The more likely scenario is a lot more hospitable and human. But that's another story for another sermon. I'll just send you the link. However it happened, this birth was full of anguish and tension, because all births are full of anguish and tension. And in the midst of that, the image that we're given of Mary is not of panic and chaos, but of calm and wonder, 
of Mary treasuring all these things within her heart. And again, yes, that's probably idealistic. It's probably a sanitized version of the story. But it makes sense. Mary has been preparing this way with wonder, with creative expression, with the wisdom of a mentor. When you don't know what's coming, when you can't control the situation around you, the best way forward is to turn inward and to prepare yourself. We can't do much to shape the world, so we meet it as it comes to us. We pay attention to what is going on inside of us. We take care of ourselves. We practice learning the rhythms of when to breathe, when to push, when to receive. Perhaps this is an obvious message this morning, but Advent sings the same songs every year because we need to be reminded every year. Whatever is on your plate in this season, your work agenda, your social calendar, your financial forecast, your personal health outlook, whatever it is, you might think you know what's coming. You might be prepared for it, maybe not. Maybe there will be snakes on your playground, foxes in your hen house, or children in the captain's seat. Whatever comes, we'll receive it best if we lean in with open minds, open hands, and open hearts. There's not always a lot we can do to smooth the roads, to raise the valleys, and lower the hills. We prepare the way when we can, but mostly we prepare ourselves for the way. One final thought. For anyone out there who's thinking, great, now I have to prepare myself on top of all the other seasonal arrangements, one more thing for the to-do list, that's you, relax. It's not actually possible to prepare for the mystery of God. There's a reason that the most repeated phrase in the Bible is, fear not, don't be afraid. It showed up already in our songs this morning. Because every time God shows up, the humans are surprised and caught off guard. That's the story. Nobody is really prepared. Nobody gets it right. And God shows up anyway. I've had the wisdom of Dr. Seuss ringing in my ears this week. He hadn't stopped Christmas from coming, it came. Somehow or other, it came just the same. It came without ribbons, it came without tags, it came without packages, boxes, or bags. You know the story. Somehow or other, it came just the same. It might be as unlikely as fresh growth from a dead stump, or as brilliant as angel choirs, or as common as the stars in the sky, as natural and homely as the act of being born. You might be prepared, you probably won't be, and it comes just the same. The real trick isn't in the preparation, but in recognizing what is, recognizing the mystery, the gift of God when it is right in front of us. Blessings as you prepare.